Hello and welcome to the world famous Driving You Crazy podcast. This is the show where we talk about all things transportation, anything that gets you from here to there. I am the traffic anchor and the transportation reporter for Denver 7 News, Jason Luber. And if you would like to be a part of the program, you can always give me a shout on the listener hotline. That number 303-832-0217. I'd love to put you here on the program and on the show today. We're going to go very high-minded. Uh, not snooty high-minded. We're going to go we're going to go high-minded though. Remember that guy who rode the balloon almost up to space and then jumped out of that uh, contraption? We're going that high-minded. Uh, <laughs> in just a bit, I'm going to be joined with Dr. Bill Climack. And uh, Bill is a professor at the School of Industrial and Systems Engineering at the University of Oklahoma. He has just about every degree you can earn, including a Ph.D. in operations research from the U.S. Air Force Institute of Technology. And we're going to be uh, talking about the traveling salesman problem. Have you heard of what that is? It's basically asking what is the most efficient way to get to multiple places in the least amount of time and greatest fuel or cost savings. It's called the traveling salesman problem. How could a traveling salesman uh, go about their route of selling vacuum cleaners door to door in the most efficient way possible, basically, right? Now, in the era of $5 gas prices, uh, people are looking for ways to save gas money, and I hope Bill can help us use uh, the a solution to this traveling salesman problem to help save us some money and some time, and, and we'll figure it all out. But Bill, see, look, he's he's really smart, so he's got all this stuff figured out, and, and he's smarter than, than than you or I, so well, uh, well, I, I, maybe he's not smarter than you, and if if that's the case, let me know uh, on the listener hotline. Uh, but before we go high-minded, we're going to go somewhere else. I have to start with this voicemail that was sent in to the Driving You Crazy mailbox at 303-832-0217. It doesn't have really anything to do with transportation, but instead was directed to our morning meteorologist, Lisa Hidalgo. Just take a listen. I don't know if you're head of the department, the weather, but I just wanted to ask you to um, ask Lisa Hidalgo to leave her cleavage at home Friday morning. She has a very low-cut dress or top or whatever it is, and it's inappropriate. It doesn't belong on the news or the weather. So if she continues to dress like that, I'm going to switch and start watching somebody else. Uh, if she wants to go somewhere, a cocktail party or whatever, and dress like that, that's her business, but it doesn't belong on the news or the weather. <laughs> well, funny. Actually, Lisa gets many of her outfits from this uh, place called uh, Rent the Runway. And basically, they send her clothes, and then she wears them, and she sends them back. So it's like a, a subscription clothes rental thing uh, sent to her, and then she uh, doesn't keep the clothes, so she doesn't have to buy them. And Lisa said... She'll probably send that one back. <laughs> I guess it's not a fan favorite. But that's the kind of comments we, and especially the women on TV, get from our audience. It's just, I, I don't get those kind of uh, uh, emails or, or voicemails to me. I, I've maybe had one or two, but uh, I'm telling you, it's it, it's always happening to the women, unfortunately especially here on the uh, on the morning show. But if you would like uh, you know to make a voicemail comment, feel free to that number 303-832-0217. And you know as I get older, 
it's getting tougher and tougher to see the lane markers on the road, especially at night, and especially in the rain. Now, it might not be as big of a problem in the future thanks to this trial run by Victoria, Australia-based road construction company called Tarmac Line Marking. Now, they shared on Facebook recently that they're in conjunction with OmniGrip and Vic Roads, which would be Victoria Roads, and are rolling out this trial run of an all-new photoluminescent, <laughs> basically a big word for glow-in-the-dark, lane markings on certain roads in Victoria, Australia. Now, if this trial run proves successful, this glow-in-the-dark lane marking might become commonplace all over, all over Australia. And if it works there, uh, of course, it's going to go worldwide. Now, this is according to Re Reliable Paving, the company Reliable Paving. They said the main benefits of glowing road markings include, as you would probably imagine, increased visibility and safety for drivers at night. <laughs> and providing visible lane markings in places without proper street lighting. Now, in the event of a power outage, lane markings are still visible. And reduced overall electricity use, power meant for street lighting can be then diverted elsewhere. There have been a couple of hiccups already. So after the road markings were initially put in place, it was reported that some drivers were driving along the road in the dark with their headlights switched off so they could experience the glow-in-the-dark effect. <laughs> I'm not really, uh, not really sure of what they were hoping for. Maybe contacting, maybe, maybe aliens were about. And uh, they were hoping it was going to be an alien runway. Uh, also, drivers soon found out an unfortunate observation as the road markers are sensitive to large amounts of moisture due to rainfall, and so that glow-in-the-dark lane marking was washing off in the rain. That's no good. Especially no good when you want to see it when it's wet. And it's tough to see the regular road markings, right? Well, since that time, the uh, pavement companies have come up with a new formula of this glow-in-the-dark lane marking, so it's much more weather-resistant. Now, this glow road markings are not a new concept. They've actually been implemented or at least tried before in the Netherlands. They, they initiated a similar pilot project back in 2014 near Amsterdam with this photoluminescent paint. Uh, I looked and I couldn't find any follow-up stories on how that test went. But it seems like a great idea. Why not? If you can figure it out where it's not washing off the roadways... And you can see the line markers better. Why not? It, it must just cost a ton of money. And that's probably why they haven't done it yet. I know there are some places, whether it was there or maybe it's in current lane markings, but they, they take some crushed up glass and they put it, mix it in the paint. I mean, really fine pieces. And so the pieces of glass will reflect the light from the headlights and make those lane markers more visible. I don't know how that works if you have a snowplow scraping all that stuff. <laughs> You're sending shards of glass um, in, in chunks of snow. Uh, but, you know, anyway, <laughs> I, there are smarter people than me that are dealing with that problem as well. Uh, in, 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 <laughs> and dealing with this problem. Because let's say you have some errands to run, perhaps uh, some people to meet. Well, with gas prices the way they are right now, you're probably more than ever looking for a route that assures you that you're not wasting gas. Well, have you heard of this? The traveling salesman problem. 
It's a long-studied issue that logistics and especially transportation companies have studied over years, and it could help you out, too. To talk more about this is someone who is way smarter than me. Bill Klimak is a professor with the School of Industrial and Systems Engineering at the University of Oklahoma. He has just about every degree you can imagine earning, including a PhD in operations research from the U.S. Air Force Institute of Technology. Dr. Klimak, thank you so much for being here on the World Famous Drive You Crazy podcast. Well, great to be with you. Thanks. And also thank you for your service. Appreciate that very much. Oh, thanks. Thanks. Appreciate it. So before we get into what the traveling salesman problem is and how solving that problem can help us, let's get to know you and how you got interested in this type of science and research. So tell us a little bit more about your background. So I I went to Lehigh University as an undergraduate and I had an ROTC uh, scholarship. And so I was going to... uh, I I had a payback period to the Army for doing that. I thought that, uh, well... I'm an engineer and I was a chemical engineer, wasn't a good fit for the army. I'll just do my service time and then get out. But uh, the army kept offering me really great jobs. So I just forgot to get out for like 26 years. And uh, it was fortunate for me, I got interested in operations research. That's really applying math to real world problems uh, because it really grew out. Uh, it was born in World War II where they discovered that uh, well, England was kind of desperate and they asked professors to help them solve some of their problems and it really helped in terms of national defense. So that's especially within uh, the U.S. Army and, and the other branches of the services. And I got in- intrigued by that and uh, stayed for quite some time. So had an interesting career. Yeah, it sounds like it. And, and you just kept staying with all of this math stuff and it didn't ever get uh, too boring for you. And, and it seemed like it just kept uh, staying exciting for you. Well, there's plenty of problems out there, unfortunately, <laughs> right? As we all know, you know, so just nice to know there are some methods that can help solve those, especially when they're really tough and they have high uncertainty, but potentially high value, high risk. There are some tools that can be brought to bear to help provide insight. All right, so let's define what the traveling salesman problem is. Now, according to Wikipedia, every professor's favorite place for information, uh, it says that the traveling salesman problem is this. Given a list of cities and the distances between each pair of cities, what is the shortest possible route that visits each city exactly once and returns to the origin city? So how do you feel about that explanation? Would you add, subtract, or how would you change it? No, that's, that's really well said. And as you mentioned, this is a really famous uh, problem among uh, applied mathematicians and operations research uh, people, and uh, especially among people that focus on optimization. What is the best solution here that we can, uh, we can seek to a tough problem? So that's right. It's starting at a place of origin, going to multiple places without repeating them in the strict definition, and then returning to your place of origin. So is this the reason that we've all heard how UPS routes their trucks to only make right turns and no left turns? Yeah, that actually, that's a really interesting story. And actually, a good friend of mine is the, uh, was the person that launched their optimization system that's used on the trucks now, as a matter of fact. And uh, the, the right turn only rule, it w- wasn't a hard rule. It was guidance to the drivers. And that was just based on experience and common sense. And that's because... If you can avoid left turns, left turns cause you to pause for traffic. Now, obviously, somebody in a very rural area, if there's no traffic, doesn't really matter. But anybody that's in an area that's a suburbs, urban environment where you have to pause and wait, 
in, in today's world, right, you're burning fuel. And UPS drivers, of course, are burning time. They're trying to get the packages delivered as well as burning fuel. And so that was a rule that they had. That's, I had guidance to the drivers. And uh, for many, many years, UPS has been around for quite some time. And it wasn't until they launched their Project Orion where they put an optimizer uh, in the hands of the drivers that uh, they were able to actually get the solution. But that's, that's where, it, uh, where it came from. You know, I was talking to a guy who was out uh, digging up one of my stumps today because uh, <laughs> I had this stump that needed to be ground up. Well, he, he goes out and, and does this, you know, for, I, I don't know, he said he 10 or 15 stops a day. And he actually has a program, he said, that he would program all the different addresses that he needs to go to. And it would just kind of spit it out and say, all right, you need to go it in this way. But then he said to me, I, I know traffic um, patterns better than what this computer system is is going to spit out to me, so I'll change it. Is a program that maybe UPS has, do you think they can take all that into effect, have the traffic, maybe historical data, and all these other uh, powerful pieces of information fed into a bigger computer data uh, system that can then spit out the most optimal route for these folks and they can save time and money? Well, I think, I don't know for sure, but I do think they have traffic information available to them. That's pretty common that you could tap into that, right? So if you go into Google Maps, right, uh, the old Waze system is yeah. operating and you can get traffic information. Uh, so I think so. Uh, that I, I believe that's the case, but I, I don't know for sure. I've never actually operated the, you know, the UPS system. I know UPS has said that they have saved over 10 million gallons of fuel in 10 years since launching the system. And they've emitted uh, 100,000 fewer metric tons of carbon dioxide in terms of greenhouse gas emissions uh, because of savings. So obviously it's paid off for them. And can I just say the history of the problem, this is a really tough problem. And uh, it may seem trivial, you know, if we're talking about just going to a couple places and uh, if it's just a small number of destinations, that might be easy to think, well, doing it this way is dumb, this way is smart. But um, when you have a lot of combinations, like let's say you want to visit uh, 50 cities in the continental United States. Well, there's 10 to the 62 possible routes uh, for that. If you just look at going from city A to city B, that's 10 with 62 zeros after it, right? And, and so the point is, if it really makes a difference to you, and for UPS and FedEx and other companies like that, you know, they rack up a lot of miles over the years, you know, or each year there's a lot of vehicles and a lot of miles. So just a little savings has a big impact on their on their company. So the problem is so tough that actually in, uh, there was an article in Newsweek in 1954 that uh, posed a problem. And they talked about if you left D.C. and went to 48 cities in the continental U.S. So think of the state capitals in, in the continental U.S. And uh and it mentions that RAND mathematicians, that RAND is a federally funded uh, research center for the federal government. And in a few weeks by hand, they crunched and got the answer. So it took them a few weeks with uh, very skilled mathematicians. Uh, the answer, by the way, was 12,345 miles is what they came up with. Um, and so, but it took them a few weeks to, to do it. Of course, this is in, you know, the 50s, right? And computational power was quite different then than today, where we have phones better than what the, the Apollo astronauts, you know, had in computing power. But in uh, 1962, Procter & Gamble ran a contest where they said they listed 33 cities in the continental U.S. And they ran a contest as to who could identify the best route, the best traveling salesman problem solution to that. Their prize was $10,000. And uh, in today's money, that would be $97,000 as a prize. 
So you can see that it was important. Now, today, we can use apps to largely uh, solve a lot of these things. So again, it's a tough problem when you have a lot of uh, solutions that are available to you and just sorting through those. My guest is Bill Klimak. He's a professor with the School of Industrial and Systems Engineering at the University of Oklahoma, talking about how the traveling salesman problem can maybe save you money and time and in gas. So let's say there's a delivery company or whatever. They, they use an app. They use a pro- program to solve this problem. They, they'll have to keep making new solutions all the time, though, because the variables have to change all the time, whether it's traffic patterns, housing, population, road construction. I mean, the list is probably endless. Yeah, that's very insightful. That's exactly right. So most delivery services, so you think of FedEx, UPS, Amazon, uh, they normally have routes or, or regions. I mean, they give their drivers. So a driver know, knows that he or she might work north of the city or east of the city or whatever that might be. But where they're going that day is highly variable. It's going to change. So what they do is scan the packages on the truck. So uh, normally there's a QR code or barcode on the package. They will scan that and the system is tracking the package. So if you track your package uh, for something you've ordered online and you see it's coming and they'll say, okay, it's uh, now gotten to Memphis or wherever it's gone, you can follow it. And then it'll say offer delivery. That means it went on the truck probably this morning off the loading dock. And what happens is the driver now knows what's on the truck based on the scans. And then he or she runs an optimizer that provides that route for the day. And it can be quite different from day to day. So same region. So they probably know the roads pretty well. uh, And it'll run that. So UPS uh, actually has a a good collection of mathematicians and engineers that work on the problem. And so they run their own uh, algorithms. They've written them themselves. And, uh, but, uh, and, and by the way, I, I remember just a quick story about the Orion system, because uh, I know several people that worked on it, and the guy that ran it. And he was telling me, as we all know, electronics tend to get smaller over time, right? You know, you, anything gets miniaturized if it's uh, electronic. And, uh, and when you think of many things, that's the case. And he said, so the first Orion was maybe the size of a, a clipboard, you know, like an eight and a half by 11 piece of paper would fit on it. And that was kind of the prototype. And uh, and he said that he was really he was watching drivers actually test the system. And somebody said, "Hey, I, uh, the the loading dock supervisor was telling the driver, hey, you need to get going.'" He goes, well, "I haven't run my optimizer yet, you know." And he heard that. And he said, "Okay, this is going to work, you know." And the drivers see the value and, and are going to use it. And so that's, that worked. And they deployed him. The second generation was a lot smaller, the size of a cell phone. And uh, they were asking drivers for feedback after that. And the main complaint they got was it's too small. And that really surprised them because normally you want things to be small or it's easy to put in your pocket, that kind of thing. And uh, he asked drivers, hey, why, why do you want it bigger? And the guy said, well, the first one was big enough I could fend off a dog. <laughs> so, so it just shows you that there's unarticulated value sometimes, right? So they made the third one a little bit bigger. It was kind of middle between the, the initial one and, uh, and then the, the cell phone size. And so just fit another purpose. But it's been very popular, you know, with their drivers. And now, I, as far as I know, all the companies uh, use that. So there is, you know, if people probably are very familiar with uh, Google Maps, you can put multiple destination in into Google Maps and it'll tell you route. But it's assuming the order you put them in is the order you want to visit them. And so that might be the case, you know, if you're planning an event and you want to go pick something up and then you want to go get uh, the cold stuff from the grocery store last, right? You know, it, it, that's a constraint on, on your different 
order you could visit the places. Well, you put them in Google Maps in whatever order, that's how it's going to answer it. Uh, MapQuest actually will let you move them around. So if you are concerned about, is this really the best route to save me gas, uh, you can do that at MapQuest. And there's a website called MapTive, M-A-P-T-I-V-E, that lists different uh, solutions, and they offer a commercial solution. So if somebody has a business like a florist delivering flowers or your gentleman uh, taking out your stumps, uh, those yeah. kinds of things. <laughs> right. uh, you know, if they're if they're doing this commercially, it's probably worth looking at MapDiv or some other commercial add-ins that, uh, that that help you. But um, most of them, they should draw off traffic data. Getting back to your original question, because that can make uh, uh, a difference. So it's not necessarily that you want to minimize the distance. Remember, that's the original statement of the. That's the canonical traveling salesman problem. What you really probably want to do is minimize time because that's equating more into fuel consumption. So if you're sitting for a long time waiting to make a left turn, uh, that burns fuel while you're sitting there. Even though distance-wise, if you made only right turns, if you could work out a route with that, you might drive a little further, but it's probably going to save you fuel because you're not sitting idling uh, at a traffic light or, or in a left turn lane waiting for the traffic to clear. In these solutions, you really could have a solution that gives you a longer distance, but a shorter time and vice versa. And it might work better in some instances to stay out longer and so have a longer time, but shorter distance or vice versa. That's that's exactly right. So, I mean, everybody you know wants to save time, but if the map is just giving you distance, that may not save you time. And if you're trying to save gas... Saving time is probably a better analog than the distance, uh, the mileage that you're driving. That's right. And, and as we were talking about how, how computers have shrunk down, it, it made me think about circuit boards. And, and I would even think this problem would relate to circuitry and, and how you are seeing uh, circuits. Uh, you, you, you know, you map all the data that goes through a circuit. I mean, I'm, I'm sure that this <laughs> this problem comes into that as well. Yeah, I mean, uh, the traveling salesman problem is a very famous integer programming optimization problem, but it also relates to graph theory. So graph theory is very important. If you think of uh, think of maps, right? Well, basically, a uh, circuit card, uh, you want to, if you can, get all your circuitry laid out in a two-dimensional layout so that you can create it easily and cheaply, inexpensively for what you're trying to do, right? So it's a very similar type uh, problem and related. So all this gets back to networks network flow and what's the minimum spanning tree or how quickly or what's the maximum flow through a network. And that's another class of problems that's slightly different, but very related and similar to what we're talking about. So a very insightful point. My guest is Bill Klimak. He's a professor with the School of Industrial and Systems Engineering at the University of Oklahoma, talking about how the traveling salesman problem could maybe save you some time, money, gas. If you If somebody gets this right, if you have a program that can help you out or, or if you just have enough intuition to try to get it right, how much fuel do you think and, and how much time could the individual person save? Well, first, it's highly dependent on what the problem is, right? So if somebody is thinking about a vacation and there's a number of places you want to go on your vacation and you're going to drive and you're driving fairly long distances, Clearly, that's going to have a different amount of potential savings than if everything's within a few miles of your house and you need to make a couple stops. So that's a factor. And then if it's within a few miles of your home, that may be a short distance, but it may be a repetitive type of problem. So if you, you know, for instance, how you do your grocery shopping 
that type of thing will will have an effect. So it's really hard to say, but I, I think that if you are, uh, it wouldn't be unusual to see maybe a 5% savings uh, of gasoline on a very long, uh, on a driving trip, if you're say going on a week's vacation, going to a number of spots. If you only go, go to one place and park and then like hike the Grand Canyon, then of course, wouldn't have that much effect, right? If uh, you're just going to the one place. Or you're just going to stop for just a few minutes at the world's largest ball of yarn, and then you want to keep on going to the Grand Canyon. I, right? I, I've missed that one. That one I haven't <laughs> seen yet. So if you have some tips on visiting, let me know. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but it seems like savings wouldn't really come on the individual level, that it's really from a collected or, or group changes in behavior and fuel consumption, right? In other words, you have, instead of one or two people in your household, you're going to save a lot more if you have a company with 100 or 200 trucks. Yeah, well, that's certainly true, right? The scale. Just the, the more you're spending on fuel, the, the more uh, potential savings you have just because of scaling up, you know, even if you're uh, saving the same percentage amount. But one thing in a household, uh, you know, because gas is so expensive, right? Everything we can do is... Uh, uh, is helpful. And so we do things normally in a household repetitively, like buying groceries and so on. And so my advice there is, is first of all, there's things called heuristics and heuristics are uh, rules of thumb, if you will, to, to do approaches. Uh, one, it, one heuristic is uh, called the next nearest neighbor. So if you go to the first place you're going to go on running trips around town to run errands, uh, the next nearest neighbor would be the next closest place and go to that. And so that actually uh, almost never produces the optimal answer, by the way. But it's easy to figure it out. But just a good thing to do is think about trying to group what you do. So if you have uh, choices during the week or maybe during the month for things that you need to do, like, uh, for instance, I have to be concerned about my yard, so I have to go buy fertilizer periodically and, you know, go buy those kinds of things. And so if you can... And I'm giving here obvious solutions, but try to group those trips. If I'm going to the same area, the same part of town where I buy my fertilizer, well, what else do I need to pick up one in the area here can, can be helpful. And then people tend to think spatially, right? If I'm going to go uh, to the east part of town to get something, what else is there? And that's great. But it's also a temporal question time-wise. So like over the week or over the month, can I consolidate uh, trips just to be more efficient in what I'm doing? Again, pretty obvious solution, but, you know, we tend to uh, behaviorally, you know, just kind of go do whatever we do. Just trying to think about it and plan it out uh, can uh, pay, pay some dividends too. But but Bill, I'm, I'm more of a pragmatic kind of person. And in real life, pragmatic people sometimes say, well, yeah, that route, that route will maybe be close to optimal, but I'm not going to beat myself over the head with trying to have the perfect optimal route to try to save the most amount of time and money. Yeah, well, I mean, common sense should prevail, right? You know, and, and of course, it may be that, you know, if you have an anniversary with your significant other, right, that doesn't mean you should wait and go out when I can also go buy the fertilizer. <laughs> right. You know, that's, that, that, that it sounds practical probably, to me, though. <laughs> yeah, probably not real romantic to go buy fertilizer with your significant other, no, no matter what his or her interest might might be, probably, you know. Well, there was an interesting story, again, from the UPS group, is that uh, this one manager at UPS was uh, telling my, my friend Jack Levis that, uh, hey, I want everybody to do exactly what Orion says. And uh, Jack, who was running the program, said, I don't, I don't think we want that. I think we want the drivers to be informed 
by Orion, but make their own decisions um, because Orion's a model. You know, that's their traveling salesman problem solution system. And it's a model, but there are things in the world beyond the model, right? And those things can certainly come into play. And he happened to be on a business trip with this manager and they were driving down the road and uh, it was a two-lane road to somewhere and there was a traffic accident, unfortunately, in front of them and the traffic was stopped. And so uh, this guy said, oh, hmm, I think I'll turn around and we'll go a different way. And he said, well, what if Orion told you to go down this road this way? Do you want the driver to sit here and wait? And he goes, okay, good point. You know, so you need to temper everything with, with common sense and, and make sure that it, uh, it seems right. If somebody's making a big trip, though, good to pull out, uh, you know, one of these apps and, and just plug it in and see what it tells you. You know, it's funny because the apps will tell you one thing, but you never know. And here's a perfect example. There was maybe about a month ago, there was a closure of an interstate over here in Denver. And it, you could see, I, I, I was telling everybody in the world about it on television. I was t- uh, tweeting it out. Uh, all the other TV station people and the people on radio were telling people about it. It was all on uh, on your phone. I mean, it was it was pretty much everywhere and all the apps had this uh, big traffic jam pretty much saying, don't drive on this road. It's closed. But there are still then people I'm watching at an on-ramp trying to get on that interstate. <laughs> so it's almost like no matter what you do to help out the people, even with these type of programs, they're just going to uh, almost lemmingly like uh, follow along and, and, <laughs> and get caught. That, that's certainly true. I guess all I can say to that is don't be that guy. You know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You know, you, you just want to be prudent in how you live your life. And, uh, yep, that, that's there's going to be some of that uh, no matter what. That's right. So mm-hmm. is there a way to maybe make some of these apps uh, more free and open to the public? Like you said, Google Maps, as we've all used that, it's all you just have to put it in which destination you're going to go to next, next, next. Can't you have one that will, like you say, shuffle everything around, find the best optimal route that I don't have to pay for? Yeah, MapQuest will do that. So MapQuest is pretty easily available. Uh, if somebody just types that in a search engine, they should uh, get that. And again, if they go to MapTiv, M-A-P-T-I-V-E, and I, I have no connection with them. I was just looking around for things I could provide on advice. And they do have a list of different solutions as well, both for a commercial uh, company and then just a private consumer that's looking for free uh, information. But I, I would say first look, look at take a look at uh, MapQuest and see what that says in ordering uh, the route. And uh, if you're not satisfied, I, I honestly don't know how good the traffic information is on MapQuest, but you can always then take that route and put it into Google Maps or whatever you're using today that provides you traffic information and then alter the route appropriately and see if it gives you different advice once the traffic information is, uh, is placed in there. Do you think this equation or a solution to the traveling salesman problem can be used on someone who is just going to walk in an urban downtown area or ride one of those uh, e-bikes or scooters? Can it help out even in those situations? Sure. It's actually transportation mode independent. Of course, if you're walking, your payoff is going to be different, you know, in terms of you're not saving, you're saving gas regardless, right? Uh, as opposed to driving, of course. But uh, it doesn't matter what your mode of transportation is. And again, the, the original transportation, uh, traveling sales and problem, excuse me, was just based on mileage. How you uh, traveled that, that mileage, you know, whether you drove it or you took uh, some other form of transportation wasn't even really part of the problem. Because when you're walking, you're just using your own energy, and sometimes you maybe want to use more of your own energy to lose a little weight, right? 
<laughs> well, you know, having from my time in the army, you know, as an infantryman, I'll just say that it's a lot easier to walk along a contour line than to go, to go perpendicular to the <laughs> contour lines on the map. Right. You know, so so sometimes again, it's not the distance. In fact, I used to do mountaineering uh, quite a bit as a hobby, and route finding is really important in the mountains uh, to avoid have hazards like avalanche or rockfall and those kinds of things. So it can get you know more complex, but. Uh, in terms of running an optimizer and the traveling salesman problem, it can be equally uh, applicable. But if it's taking me on a route where I'm worried about avalanche hazard, I think I'm going to revise the route. Or I'll dig a snow pit first and test it. I think I'll just uh, hang out at the lodge. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Enjoy a couple of cocktails. Uh, Mm -hmm. My guest is Bill Klimak. He's a professor with the School of uh, Industrial and Systems Engineering at uh, University of Oklahoma. So what is the best way then, do you think, we can get around and save money? Is it trying to solve this traveling traveling salesman problem? Is it another way? Is is there any great way to really a best way to save time, money, gas? Well, I I think the main point is just to be aware to consider, have I thought about what is the best way to do it? I'm doing best here in air quotes uh, because it's really to optimize, right? And you know, we optimize a lot of things in life, including like we're not buying fertilizer when we're going out on an anniversary dinner, you know, kind of thing, right? And so it needs to make common sense for you, but just apply those things to uh, save money at the gas pump. And you're also reducing greenhouse gas emissions and other things as well. So I, I think that to have that mindset is just valuable. And so gas has become far more expensive than, uh, than it was. And so it becomes more important because it has a bigger impact on our finances. So just causes us, I think, to, uh, as rightly so, just to think a little bit harder about, hey, am I really uh, doing the right thing here? Or or am I making my trips or am I running my errands in the best possible way that I can? And and this too will pass. Everything eventually will pass. Gas prices eventually, you would, well, you know, (laughs) from my lips to God's ears, uh, would come down. But this is also a issue for electric cars because you have a certain range you can go in these electric cars and it's not that easy, at least for right now, to stop at a gas station, fill up after five minutes and then keep on going. Yeah, that's absolutely right. I, I saw there was just a news article where a reporter drove cross country and she commented she spent more time recharging the vehicle than she did sleeping, you know, because it just takes time to, to recharge. So if you're using an electric vehicle for only a short errands around your home, uh, probably it's not a factor. But if you're driving long distances, you do have to make sure you allocate enough time and uh, are at a place where you can uh, recharge your vehicle. A, a, a former colleague was telling me he had bought an electric car a number of years ago and uh, was driving between Houston and Dallas, Fort Worth. And he had looked up that, yep, they could make it no problem. Uh, and it was going to say use 90% of the battery. And he decided to make sure it was completely topped off before he left. And he said, I was glad I did it because I forgot I was making the trip in the winter. They needed the electric battery to provide heat in the car, you know, because an internal combustion engine gives off heat as a byproduct. And so it's easy to warm the car in the winter. So, so just there's some differences between vehicles, but, uh, but the traveling salesman problem is, is still helpful in terms of saving your resources, how important those resources are and what they cost, of course, can, can be different. And not just heating the car, also your batteries will lose um, energy when you are in those colder temperatures or hotter temperatures. I've had a Chevy Volt 
for eight years. I had one before mm-hmm. that, just my second one I've actually owned. Now, the, the great thing about it, the one I have, it's yeah, it's an electric car, but it has a generator in the front of it, so I can keep filling it up with gas and keep going and generate electricity and keep driving forever if I need to. Um, mm-hmm. So that's the benefit, but I've learned that you will lose... Um, range with high temperatures, low temperatures, however you're driving on the uh, interstates compared to just tooling around on some of the side roads at 35 miles an hour. There are huge differences in your range depending on all of those driving styles. And I think people are going to need to get used to all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Yep. Great, uh, great points. That's right. All the technologies have advantages and disadvantages and they all have their uh, idiosyncrasies. That's, that's exactly right. Well, I think uh, I, th- I think we're all better off now knowing what you know, or at least some of what you know, uh, <laughs> with this uh, traveling salesman problem. Well, glad, glad to share. Thanks for the opportunity to speak with you and your listeners uh, about it. And I certainly wish everybody uh, all the best in their travels and uh, hope what I had to offer was, was helpful. Oh, most definitely. Thanks again, Bill, for all your time and your uh, and your expertise. Uh, can't uh, can't thank you enough for uh, for spending the time with us. Oh, glad to do it. Thank you. Well, who says we can't get high minded on this show, right? <laughs> Thanks again, uh, Bill. This is probably one of the uh, equations that should be included in the software of autonomous cars, right? But there are times you just want to wander off or just go a different way, right? Or just take a little bit longer to get where you're going. And, and I love road trips, and, and it's that saying, right? Not all who are wandering are lost. I think that's the way they go. Because there's this road trip I actually want to take. Um, but the gas price is throwing me off, and, and the, the amount of time it's going to take is throwing me off. I want to go see the meeting spots of all the states that border Colorado. <laughs> you, you no doubt have heard about the Four Corners, right? Where Colorado, Arizona, Utah, New Mexico, they all come together. I've been there. It's a pretty neat place. It's actually on an Indian reservation. And in all states, they have other borders where they meet other states. And in Colorado, it actually has uh, borders seven states. It's one of the states with one of the most uh, bordered. It's one of the most bordered states, I guess I should say. And there are six other points around Colorado where... Some states meet Colorado, and I want to see them, but the trip is over four hours from me where I live to the, the closest. Well, I don't know if it's the closest one, but I, the one I wanted to go to was at the New Mexico-Oklahoma-Colorado border, and then there's one not too far from that where Colorado, Oklahoma, and Kansas all come together. It, it's about then five hours to come back to my house, so maybe 10 hours of total driving without stops. It's a bit more than I could probably do in a day. Um and then with the gas, it's like 650 miles. Now, my car gets about 45 miles a gallon or so. So, what, that's 15 or so gallons of, of premium fuel because my car takes the premium gas at, at, at over 5 bucks a gallon. So, we're talking 75 to to $100 just in gas. And then, of course, you have to buy uh, gas station snacks. <laughs> you can't do a road trip without gas station snacks and uh, other kind of food, but I, I don't know. I guess I'm not ready to spend. And you know what? Here's the problem, too. I uh, I just took a it, – it was a small road trip. I was just getting video for my Driving You Crazy TV stories, and I went from downtown Denver 
up to uh, the the northern, well, this not super northern, but just uh, north metro Denver City, um, up there in Broomfield and Westminster, and then over to Boulder, and then through Boulder, and I was driving uh, then down to Golden and to Morrison. It was a pretty good, it was over 100 miles. Maybe it's just my older age, but I'm starting to get achy now, and my legs get restless while I'm driving that long. So the road trips aren't as road trippy friendly as I as I used to remember them. I don't think it'll stop me from doing road trips, and I definitely want to go see all these points. And and, and usually, as I've looked these up on Google Maps, and it's usually just there's a marker of some sp- uh, some sort, and there's really nothing else there in these spots. So you just drive there and you look at it. And you go, okay, this is pretty cool. Take your picture and then you leave. It's not like here's a uh, you know giant ball of yarn where you can go see a gift shop and and do stuff and spend a half an hour there. It's just show up, see it, maybe have a sandwich or some of your gas station snacks and move on. <laughs> anyway, so I'll make that road trip again. Uh, maybe I don't know sometime. Well, thanks again for being here. Thanks for listening. If you need to contact me, all my contact links are in the description of this fine show, as well as all the contact links uh, for Bill as well for uh, Dr. Climax. Thanks for listening, and until next time, I'm Jason Luber, the Traffic Guy. Be safe, and as always, happy motoring.